you guys know that I, I think it was 2018. 2018 was the year, I believe, of A Quiet Place. Might have been 2019. You guys let me know in the live chat. But here's the thing. My favorite movie of the year, let's say it was 2018 that it came out. My favorite movie of the year. Not favorite genre movie, not favorite subcategory movie. My overall favorite movie of the year that it came out was A Quiet Place. That was my number one film of the year. I absolutely loved it. I was floored by it to this day. Whenever I go back and watch it, I am absolutely amazed by what they're able and what they've been able to do with A Quiet Place. What John Krasinski was able to handle, and you guys in the live chat of Leo Omar, uh, K Major, Carl, let me know, was 2018. Okay, good. It was 2018. So even as I go back now and look at that, I am absolutely bewildered at how John Krasinski was able to tell so much visceral, emotional, compelling, stressful, edge-of-your-seat storytelling with much of the movie not even having any dialogue. It was a perfect mixture of visuals and sound and music and acting, the performances by him, his wife, Emily Blunt. The two kids were fantastic in it as well. I know know everybody likes A Quiet Place, but I still don't think that A Quiet Place gets the credit it deserves. Anyway, that being said, of course, one of the big things then, since my favorite movie of 2018 was A Quiet Place, I have been psychotically waiting for A Quiet Place 2. Now, of course, 2020 was the year from Satan's nutsack, and it got pushed. We didn't get to see it. But now, now, ladies and gentlemen, we are close. This month, this month, we are getting A Quiet Place 2, and a brand new trailer has just dropped that they are officially titling the final trailer. You know what's funny? Just the other day on the show, somebody wrote in, and asked, hey, do you think we're going to get another trailer for A Quiet Place? And I said, I don't know, maybe. Like, I don't think they need to put out a new trailer. Maybe they just need to do a push of the trailers they already have. But they have indeed put together a new trailer, and they call it the final trailer. And I got to tell you, it was, it's a pretty damn good trailer. And this time around, apparently some of my colleagues have had a chance to see it because they are saying we're hearing from people from cinema blend. We're hearing from people like the great Eric Davis over at Fandango, a a guy I personally know. I love his take on films. Uh, Heather Wixon, who I, I have had on a panel of mine before, a great, great horror film journalist giving their quotes and comments and they are giving rave reviews of a quiet place too. And that's been included in with this trailer. Of course, it's not new that a trailer, um, has what, what, what do you call it? That a trailer would have, uh, those little, uh, review quotes, right? Little review quotes. I've had my review quotes on a couple of films. Um, it's not rare to have that, but obviously this is the first time we've had it for a quiet place and they sound good. It looks excellent. Again, we got a little bit of Jaimon Hansu in this one. That's good to see because I love Jaimon Hansu. You guys know that. But it captures everything. It starts perfectly with John Krasinski. Nothing says this is a flashback scene like showing one of the dead characters. So John Krasinski is like, what's going on? I don't know. Maybe a bomb. So you get a little bit of that. Fast forward. Just the, the visual tension. Like, who cares about stepping from sand onto some grass? But the way the camera's angled, the way we understand the way this world is built. In this trailer, when Emily Blunt with her kids are getting ready to step off the sand path onto the normal path, 
Your stomach is in your throat. You're like, oh, oh. I mean, but that's the type of world and the type of tension that they've been able to build with A Quiet Place and now into the marketing of A Quiet Place 2. And I'm telling you what, guys, I could not be more excited. I absolutely could not be more excited for this movie. The only thing that's kind of heightened it is the fact that we've had to wait so bloody long for it. Because it has been, again, a long wait going through Satan's nutsack of 2020 and what it was. And now that we're finally coming out on the other side, and I love the fact that the trailer ends with only in theaters, which is where you got to experience this movie. I mean, A Quiet Place was a movie you had to experience with that full theater and that full image. Oh, my God. It was just so great because when watching the first Quiet Place, I remember being in this packed theater and the movie's very, very quiet, right? And you could, so you could so clearly hear everybody in the theater gasping and jumping and it was just so much fun. Cannot wait. The end of May cannot get here fast enough. Guys, question is, did you see this Quiet Place 2 trailer? I thought it was great. What did you guys think of it? Where's your anticipation level? Listen, maybe your anticipation level for it's gone down a little bit since we've had to wait so long. Maybe it's increased your excitement for it. Wherever your excitement level is, jump on down into the comments section and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move into our main topics today, shall we? And how do we select our main topics here on the John Campy Show? It's really simple. You guys come up with our main topics. Whenever you come across a big topic, issue, or story that you think we should feature as a main topic here on the John Campy Show, just head on over anytime, 24-7, to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. You'll be getting your comment or question on the show if it gets selected. So send it on in there. It's totally free. And maybe, just maybe, you might see that submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campia Show. With that down, let's get on to main topic number one. And the first main topic today gets submitted to us by, that's the wrong thing to bring up, by uh, Joe Ao Edits, who writes, Hey, John. In the Hollywood Reporter article about the new black Superman movie, there are also some details hidden. The article says that Marvel isn't rushing Blade and that the production was pushed from this September to July of 2022 so that the studio can spend more time working on the Stacey Osai Kofer. I, I never know if I'm pronouncing her name right. Stacey Osai Kofer pen script. This is probably the fourth movie uh, of 2023 in the November date already reserved by Marvel and Fantastic Four in the July date. What are your thoughts on this? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, one of the things that a lot of people have been talking about, and we talked recently about Blade. We talked recently about Blade because Blade was a movie that they announced it feels like forever ago. Like, it feels like absolutely forever ago when Kevin Feige was on that stage and they announced that they were doing a Blade film and everybody got excited about it. And then it kind of turned into, you know, Marvel's version of Black Adam. You know, we heard about it. Mahershala Ali comes out on stage. The multiple Academy Award winning actor Mahershala Ali comes walking out on stage. Everybody's excited. And then nothing, and then nothing, and then nothing, and then nothing. Then we hear, oh, you know, they got a screenwriter. They're working on a script. Maybe we have this starter production date. But now they're saying 
it's not going to have a production date until mid-2022. So the question a lot of people have been asking is, well, number one, why wasn't Blade included on that big Marvel video that came out? We addressed that yesterday. But a lot of people start wondering still why. Why, you know, considering they announced this movie so long ago, why are we still waiting for this damn thing? Well, we got a little bit of an explanation in that article. This comes to us from the folks over at The Hollywood Reporter who write, Marvel isn't rushing with Blade, uh, whose start date was pushed from this September to July of 22. Notice that is start date, as in when they begin shooting, not when the movie's coming out. From this September to July of 2022, so that the studio can spend time working on the Stacio Sai Kofor pen script. That comes to us from The Hollywood Reporter. All right. There's something in here that makes sense, and there's a part in here that's a little bit of BS. You know, you know, my BS raider, my spidey BS senses are going off. First of all, wanting more time to work on the script. Okay, so what that tells me is that Stacy's script isn't quite where they want it to be yet. So that's that's fine. The script isn't quite where they want it to be. They want more time to work on it. Totally cool. Nothing wrong with that. The part that's a little bit of BS is Marvel doesn't want to rush it. Okay, I could understand that if they just decided yesterday to do a Blade movie. You know, we just decided, we're just now, we're doing a Blade movie. Are you going to start shooting tomorrow? No, 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 we don't want to rush it. We don't want to rush it. We want to make sure we have enough time to put this thing together properly, you see. And so we're going to say, okay, that would be fine. They announced this movie years ago. They literally announced this film years ago. So don't look, it's it's cool. Just say, just come out and say, look, we want to do this Blade movie. We planned on already being moving on it. But the reality is every time we read the script, it's still not quite where we want it to be. So it's not that we don't want to rush. It's that we're behind. We're behind. And so we need to give ourselves more time. And that's perfectly acceptable. But this notion of, ooh, they're not rushing. Well, they've had years. Just come out and say it. We thought we'd be able to put this thing together easier than we actually are, and it's turning out to be a tougher nut to crack than we expected. And there's nothing wrong with that. Just say that. Just come out and admit that and say it. Totally fine. Mm. Because one of the good things about that is saying, you know what? We here at Marvel, we don't think okay is good enough. It's saying, yeah, we've got a script done and yeah, it's okay. And yeah, we could start rolling cameras on this, but you know what? It doesn't meet Kevin Feige's standards. It doesn't meet the Marvel benchmark. It's not good enough for our audience. And so even though we plan to be moving, even though we've had plenty of time to get this damn thing together, it's still not good enough. We haven't been able to make progress on it the way we've wanted to, and it's still not right, and therefore, we're not going to move forward. We're going to keep going back to it. That's better than kind of the, you know, the uh, the cop-out of, oh, we're not, we don't want to rush. Shut up. You've had years. It's, this isn't rushing at this point. At this point, it's you haven't been able to solve the puzzle. Just admit that. We'll respect you for it, and then move on. I am very excited about this. Number one, because Blade is just a very cool character. Number two, Marvel obviously has a terrific track record. Number three, who doesn't want to see Mahershala Ali as Blade? A lot of reasons to be excited about this, but hey, 
Give us the movie when you're ready to give us the movie. I mean, as long as it doesn't actually turn into, you know, a Dwayne The Rock Johnson Black Adam where we're literally waiting six years for the thing to come out. But hey, if they can go into production on this next summer, I think we'll be okay. As far as, will that mean a 2023 release date? Maybe. Maybe, maybe not. Actually, I'm not going to lie to you. I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see Blade in theaters until 2024. But who knows? Maybe it could be that 2023 release date. Question here is, guys, what do you think about this and the delay and yet another delay in getting Blade going? Are you totally cool with it with for me saying, hey, make sure it meets the Marvel standard. Don't just put it out because you can put it out. How do you guys feel about it? Jump into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Austin Daniels. And Austin Daniels writes, Hey, John, it's funny because the other day a friend mentioned that we haven't seen or heard from Gareth Edwards since Rogue One and was wondering whatever happened to him. Then suddenly today, I read that he's finally directing a new movie with John David Washington called True Love, which I think is supposed to be a sci-fi movie. Anyway, what do you think about this? And do you think Edwards and Washington will be a good team? Thanks. Okay, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, as a matter of fact... I mean, yes, you're right. Gareth Edwards, I mean, he did the Godzilla movie. He did Rogue One, which made a billion dollars, but there was a lot of drama that went around there. And that was like in 2016. And we have not heard Bo Peep from Gareth Edwards in that time. So understandably, a lot of people have been wondering, you know, what the hell's going on? Now, actually, yes, he's got this new movie coming out called True Love. But the news of this didn't just come out. It was actually back, again, in Satan's nutsack year of 2020. It actually came out back a number of months ago that Gareth Edwards was going to be doing this movie. But what is brand new to this story is the John David Washington angle. This comes to us from the folks over at Variety who writes, News of the project first broke back in February of 2020 with New Regency on board to produce and finance the film. Edwards will also produce True Love, reuniting with Rogue One, a Star Wars story producer, Kiri Hart, for the new project. True Love will be Edwards' fourth feature film after breaking onto the scene with his critically acclaimed directorial debut, Monsters, in 2010, uh, which I really actually quite enjoyed a lot. Edwards helmed uh, Godzilla and Rogue One, a Star Wars story. The pair of big-budget blockbusters earned a combined $1.5 billion at the box office. And, of course, the brand-new piece of information to all this is the guy he got to come in and be the star is one of the hottest actors in the world right now, in John David Washington. And it's still surprising to me how many people forget that John David Washington, want to talk about pedigree? He is Denzel Washington's son. It's it's you you would think that everybody in the world knows this, but you'd be surprised how often I get into conversations with people and John David Washington comes up and mention, well, you know, with, with can can he ever be as good as his dad? People are like, who's his dad? It's Denzel Washington is his dad. Anyway. Now, of course. John David Washington is coming off a couple of powerhouse performances. Uh, I'm forgetting the name of the film he just did with Zendaya, but he was fantastic in it. And he was terrific in Tenet. Now, Tenet had its problems. Tenet had its problems. And by the way, if you guys can remember the name of that film he did with Zendaya, 
I throw that into the uh, live chat because it's eluding me at the moment. Anyway, Malcolm and Marie, thank you so much, guys. That's from Omar94 and Scott uh, and Maxie. Thanks, guys, for throwing that in there. So he was terrific in that. He was terrific in Tenet. Again, Tenet had its issues. It did. I still really enjoyed it. I got to watch it again with subtitles, but he was fantastic. Actually, he and Robert Pattinson were both really, really... You know what? That's one of the unfortunate things about Tenet is that because of its frantic pace and so much going on and audio issues and, you know, you got to be paying attention all the way because, you know, the plot's a little confusing. I think all that made people overlook, honestly, just how good John David Washington and Robert Pattinson were in that film. I think they were both absolutely fantastic and, and incredible about it. Now, as far as how good of a, of a match do we think John David Washington and Gareth Edwards are going to be as a director-actor combo? Not sure. And to be honest, I, for me, Gareth Edwards, the jury is still out on Gareth Edwards. I love Rogue One. I love that movie. That being said, there's a bunch of question marks out there about how much of Rogue One was actually him because remember they swapped out, you know, the ending, they moved things around a lot. There was some controversy. Some people say he was kind of pulled out of the film near the end. He still got credit for it. I think it was Tony Gilroy. Was it Tony Gilroy? I think it was Tony Gilroy. They said came in. So so I don't know how much of Rogue One is Gareth Edwards. I, I just don't know. The first Godzilla movie was pretty good. I liked it. But it wasn't great. Monsters was fantastic. So right now for me, Gareth Edwards is a name that intrigues me, but I'm not like super on board with him yet. Hopefully we'll get there. But again, you got one of the hottest actors in the world and John David Washington coming along to act uh, in his film. I think that's a big win for Gareth Edwards. I think it's a big win for Regency. I think it's a big win for the movie. And hopefully this will be the next great performance from John David Washington. Question is for you guys. What do you think about the sounds of true love? We got Gareth Edwards, John David Washington. Good pairing, not a good pairing. Maybe you're all in on Gareth Edwards. Maybe you haven't liked any of his films. Whatever you guys think, jump down into the comment section below and leave us your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Aiden Dixon, who writes... We had the interesting news yesterday coming from The Hollywood Reporter that we would be getting our first black Superman on the big screen. But there was a little tidbit that was hidden in the article that interested me. Oh, really? What possibly could that be? That interested me. Um, To quote directly, so far, every movie and TV show, with the exception of Matt Reeves' Batman starring Robert Pattinson and set for release in March, HBO Max's spinoff Gotham and Joker and its planned sequel will take place in the same universe. I don't know if I'm taking this the wrong way, but doesn't it sound like they are planning on having these movies in the same universe? I want to see your thoughts. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. Appreciate it. And yeah, within that big article, over on The Hollywood Reporter about the fact that DC is now actively looking for a black actor and a black director for their new incarnation of Superman. There was a lot of other little tidbits in there, including this. And I have seen this cause a lot of confusion. I have seen 
like last night as I was sitting outside working on my laptop, getting some show notes ready for today, I got so many messages, saw so many tweets about people asking, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Did the Hollywood Reporter just say that Robert Pattinson's Batman was in the same universe as Joaquin Phoenix's Joker? Oh my God, it's official. They're in the same universe, right? Here's where this all comes from. Again, this is a quote from that same Hollywood Reporter story that writes, DC sees its upcoming Flash movie as its uh, way forward in the post-Snyder world. With the inclusion of such characters as Supergirl and Michael Keaton's Batman, one thing Flash does is set up DC with a multiverse that allows for many of these incarnations and story universes to coexist and have superheroes intact. So far, every movie and TV show, uh, with the exception of Matt Reeves' The Batman starring Robert Pattinson and set for release in March, HBO Max's spinoff Gotham PD, and Joker with its planned sequel, will take place in the same universe. All right, this is the part that's causing confusion with people. So far, every movie and TV show, with the exception of Matt Reeves' The Batman starring Robert Pattinson and set for release in March, HBO Max's spinoff Gotham PD and Joker and his planned sequel, will take place in the same universe. The semantics and the wording here has caused, and under I believe understandably so, has caused a lot of people to go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Time out. Joker? So so Robert Pattinson's Batman is the same little boy Bruce Wayne that we saw in Joaquin Phoenix's Joker? And a lot of and, and listen, when you read the semantics the way they worded it in that article, I can kind of get that. I, I get why people are thinking it. However, I don't think that's what the Hollywood Reporter article is saying. I think they just worded it badly. See, if we go over and look at it again, and we start back, you know, about halfway down uh, the paragraph where it says, so far, every movie... See, what I believe they're saying here, and we'll jump back over to it here in a second. What I believe they're saying here, and let's read through it again, but what I believe they're saying is, basically, so far, everything that DC has given us on screen here has been in the same universe, except... Robert Pattinson's Batman, the upcoming Gotham PD, because we know this Robert Pattinson Batman is separate from all the other DC stuff. We know the upcoming Gotham PD is separate from all the other DC stuff. And we know that Joaquin Phoenix's Joker was separate from all the other DC stuff. I believe what the Hollywood Reporter was saying, and I think they just worded it a little ambiguously so it caused some confusion, is that so far, everything's been in the same universe except for Joker. This I don't think it was saying that Joker and Batman are in the same universe. Again, let's read it again. So far, every movie and TV show, with the exception of Matt Reeves' The Batman starring Robert Pattinson and set for release in March, HBO Max's spinoff Gotham PD, and Joker and his planned sequel, will take place in the same universe. So, again, I understand because you know what the key word here is? Look at that second last line will take place in the same universe. I think if they change that word will to have taken place in the same universe, I don't think there would have been any confusion. But I think because of the way they worded it, it just caused a little bit of confusion. Now, listen, I have not heard from anybody that I know over at Warner Brothers telling me, John, 100%. Joker and Robert Pattinson's Batman are not in the same universe. I haven't had anybody at Warner Brothers tell me that, at least not directly and not lately. But uh, to me, when I read that paragraph, it looks pretty clear like it's saying there's all the other DC stuff 
And then there's a separate stuff, but not necessarily that those separate things are also together in the same universe. That's my interpretation of this and how I read it. And again, just for the sake of it, let's do it one more time. So far, every movie and TV show, with the exception of Matt Reeves' The Batman, starring Robert Pattinson, is set for release in March. HBO Max's spinoff Gotham PD and Joker and its planned sequel will take place in the same universe. So again, I don't think you have to be crazy to have read that and thought, wait a minute, are Joker and Batman? I don't think you have to be crazy because they did word it a little weirdly. But again, I I did not take it that way. So I want to know, guys, how did you read that? How did you interpret it? How would you explain the way The Hollywood Reporter wrote that? Jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. And by the way, uh, Evan Ryan sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Evan. I appreciate that, dude. Okay, guys, with all that down, let's now move on and start taking your live comments and questions and the topics that you guys want to discuss that you guys have sent in using that tip link. Once again, if you want to send one in, simply use the tip link that's in the description of the video, or you can enter it in manually at streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on the show if it's appropriate for the show. And of course, you'll be supporting the channel at the same time. So let's get on over and seeing what you guys have to say. We're going to start things off here with Donnie Yasu, who writes. And by the way, Mr. Wolfgang69 sends in a Super Chat badge as well. Thanks, man. Uh, Donnie Yasu writes, one of two. Superman is a foreigner. Captain America has been punching Nazis. Wonder Woman is a woman's rights icon. X-Men was inspired and based on the civil rights movement. Spider-Man always represented kids who were different. Comics have always been, and we got to jump over here. Comics have always been progressive. Everyone who complains about the quote-unquote wokeness needs a reality check. No, it's true. The history of comics is completely filled with, you know, sharp, progressive, uh, social commentary uh it absolutely has it's never changed like it's not like it's something new even when you go back and read old interviews about the origins of fantastic four you even find out there was a lot of progressive messaging in that as well it doesn't mean it's right or wrong it's just that you're right that is a part of its history so it's not really surprising that comic book material today would continue on with that tradition and see it in some ways again it doesn't necessarily mean everything that's done is right or wrong it's just that you're right. That has been a part of the history of it. So that's a good observation, Donnie. All right, next up, Christian uh, Corbett writes, Hey, John from Hamilton here, my hometown, Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, the hammer, Steel City. Uh, my favorite city in the world is still Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. I would love to be mayor of Hamilton one day. Now, I can't do that while I'm living in Los Angeles, of course, but I seriously, it would be one of my dreams because Hamilton is, it's my home. It's my favorite place in the world. It's always been one of my dreams to be mayor of Hamilton one day. Uh, I, I got to hang out a little bit with the former mayor of Hamilton, uh, Bob Morrow. And ever since that, I always thought, man, I'd love to be mayor of Hamilton one day. It's never going to happen. I've said far too many terrible, terrible, filthy, filthy things that are on public record that would never allow me to be an uh, elected mayor. But I can still dream. Anyway, next up. Uh, uh, hey, John from Hamilton here. I was wondering if you had a favorite Andre uh, Tarkovsky and a favorite Igmar Bergman film. Love your show. Thanks. Well, look, I'm not an, an expert on either, but if we're going to talk about Andre Tarkovsky, and by the way, whenever I hear his name, all I think of is the old UFC Hall of Famer, Oleg Taktarov. You guys remember UFC like way back in like the first 10 UFCs, there was Oleg Tektarov. I used to love Oleg Tektarov. Anyway, 
Um, the one film that comes to mind normally when I think of his films is Solaris, which of course then later on, I think in 2008, 2000, I can't remember. Anyway, George Clooney did another kind of did a remake of it. Now, both versions, uh, both Andre's and George Clooney's versions were based on the same novel. So they were a little bit different. They had different approaches, but Solaris is the one that comes to mind for me. When I think about um, uh, Ingar Bergman, we talked about this recently when the great Max von Sydow uh, passed away. When, when Max van, van Sydow passed away, we talked about this a lot, and that was The Seventh Seal, which is an, an incredible film. I mean, it's, it's such an artistically made film when you guys go back and watch that, and Max van Sydow, and it's just terrific. It's amazing. So, yes. Uh, I, it's, those are the ones that come to mind for me when I think about them. So yeah, there's that. There's probably better examples, but those are the ones that come to mind for me. All right. Donnie Yasu writes, uh, oh, sorry. We already did that one. All right. Condon forever writes in, Hey everyone, Wakanda forever, black captain America and Superman in a year. Wow. I hope I'm not too late. Happy Cinco de Mayo. Uh, which was of course yesterday. Uh, I hope I'm not too late. Happy Cinco de Mayo. Wakanda is still learning Spanish. I don't know if Wakandans are gringos or not. LOL. Felix Cinco de Mayo. Wakanda para siempre. I don't know any Spanish Spanish at all. So hopefully what you were just saying, uh, was, um, uh, hopefully what you were just saying was fun and exciting and something cool. All right, let's move on here. Next up, uh, Loki, uh, low key. Why change writes? Uh, I wonder if they will start changing everything over because Disney is thinking ahead to when theaters are in full swing and do not want to compete with people deciding to stay home or anticipated new episodes or go watch a new movie late Thursday. See, there are some people, um, who we discussed this on a companion video yesterday about the whole thing about they just moved Loki, the TV series up a couple of days and Loki is now going to be coming out on Wednesdays instead of on Fridays. Right. And I think the best theory about why they made that move is clearly because I think it's because of server load. When you look at the analytics on when services like Disney Plus experience their heaviest usage and their heaviest load, it's Fridays, Saturdays. And how many times have we gone to watch a newly launching D Disney Plus show and have the server crash and all that kind of stuff? It happens a lot, right? And even when we don't see it crashing, it's incredibly taxing on their servers. Um, so I honestly think that the the best explanation for why they moved it to Wednesdays was because it will, that's a lesser heavy use day and it'll spread out and even out the server and, and traffic loads a little bit easier. So honestly, I think it's because of a technical reason. Now I've seen a lot of people writing in and saying things like, um, you know, oh, I think it's because they don't want to compete with movies. Well, if that was the case, then they would have done that a long time ago with other movies or with other Disney Plus, with Mandalorian, for example. Like, there's no reason to believe, at least in my opinion, and, and, and just my opinion, we're all making guesses here. We're all just speculating. But in my opinion, uh, it doesn't make any sense because why would that be the reason about, uh, about making the move 
when they were doing it all along already and it having great success. So honestly, I don't think it has anything to do with Black Widow. I don't think it has anything to do with, you know, people going to see movies instead. Like whenever you put out something on any day of the week, it's going to have competition. And I think it'll be fine. So honestly, yeah, I don't think, um, I honestly don't think that there is uh, any real reason to believe. Otherwise, Disney Plus wouldn't have ever released their shows on Fridays or Thursdays at midnight, depending on where I live, right? Yeah, there's no explanation for that. Like, if that was the case, if that's what they were worried about, why did they always put out those other shows on Thursdays at midnight? And they've had tremendous success. They didn't worry about new movies coming out. It didn't really affect it very much. And again, we don't live in a live broadcast world anymore. Now we live in a video-on-demand world. So, listen, at this point, we are all just guessing. We're all just guessing. But that's why my guess is it has more to do with a technical issue rather than a competition issue. But you never know. I mean, I could talk to Kevin Feige tomorrow. I'm not talking to Kevin Feige tomorrow. But I could talk to Kevin Feige tomorrow and he could say, actually, John, yeah, it's it's absolutely a technical issue. Or he could say, actually, John, we just didn't want to compete with new movies coming out. I, I mean, I don't or you know what the likely thing is? It's probably something completely different. It probably has nothing to do with movies getting released, and maybe it has nothing to do with technical issues, and maybe it's a complete other reason that none of us even are aware of because we're not behind the scenes on it. But whatever it is, as long as we're still getting Loki, June 9th, very excited. Can't wait to see it. All right, let's move on here. Next up, uh, we go to BK Dan writes, John, putting this comedy sci-fi on your radar, Hot Tub Time Machine. Uh, it's one of Sebastian Stan's big roles from 2010. Yes, he kind of played the, the bad guy skier dude. Oh, I am very familiar. Actually, hold on a second. Let me see if I can pull this up. I am very familiar. I love uh, Hot Tub Time Machine. Hold on a second. I just want to find this thing to bring it up here. I love Hot Tub Time Machine. Uh, as a matter of fact, that, I mean... Obviously, the sequel was not nearly as good, although the sequel still had some laughs. But I loved Hot Tub Time Machine so much that the studio offered, they invited me to fly me out to Lake Tahoe. So the studio behind Hot Tub Time Machine actually flew me out for a ski weekend to Lake Tahoe at this terrific like res cottage-like resort and I got to spend the weekend. That's uh, that's one of the stars of the movie, uh, Clark Duke. I actually got to spend the weekend like hanging out with the cast of Hot Tub Time Machine. It was terrific, and which was great because I'd actually seen a very, very early uh, sneak press preview of it. And then when they were doing this big press weekend in Lake Tahoe, they flew us out there for it. Had a terrific time. I love that movie. Again, the sequel, not nearly as good. Not nearly as good. But... That first one is incredible. I that's one of the ones. See, it's movies like that, um, Dodgeball, um, uh, what is some uh, uh, Ron Burgundy and you know Anchorman, um, uh, Wedding Crashers. It's the, it's it's one of those comedies that I can just Zoolander. It's one of those comedies that I can at any time, any day. Like if a buddy of mine's coming over and we just feel like ordering some food and say you just feel like popping on a movie, you could mention any of those comedies. Right? Zoolander, Anchorman, 40-year-old virgin, dodgeball, hot tub time machine. And I will say yes every single time. Every single time. I love that movie. All right. Next up, we've got uh, Jesse who writes, 
I don't know how long the Bad Batch is, but do you think it has anything to do with the Loki movie moving to Wednesdays? No, absolutely not. Uh, we've seen that Disney Plus can barely handle the influx of one show on Fridays. Do you think that they moved Loki to keep their servers from overloading? I think it had a lot to do with service from overloading, but listen, if they were worried about um, competition then Bad Batch would be the show that gets moved, not Loki. I mean, let's be honest about that. Loki is going to outview Bad Batch 10 to 1. And and remember, I watched the first two episodes of Bad I like Bad Batch, surprisingly enough. I've enjoyed it. It's not great, but I've enjoyed it so far. But it's not going to get anywhere near the same viewership that Loki's going to get. Still, that being said... Um, I do think a lot has to do with server load, and I think they're going to spread things out a little bit. Uh, but it has nothing to do with, oh, we've got to get out of the bad batches way. I, I No, I don't think it has anything to do with that. But it is, again, I think a server load issue. So there you go. All right, next up. Uh, J.D. Redford writes, with Black Widow releasing on July 9th, a Friday, it makes sense for Loki, <laughs> here we go again, it makes sense for Loki to be airing on Wednesday. It prevents Loki, uh, episode five, and Black Widow from overtly competing with each other. Again, it's not a competition. It's a VOD market. Um, people, see, people don't have to choose between watching, and by the way, it wouldn't affect me at all, Right? Because Loki, when Loki drops, is not when I'd be going to the movie theater to watch Black Widow. You don't, that's the thing about today in the VOD world, you don't have to choose between I either watch. I mean, the only time you have to do that is if, oh my gosh, there's this, there's a great, um, you know, Patriots game and an LA Rams game, and they're both games at the same time and they're both live, and you gotta pick which one to watch live. That's not the case with things like this. So I really don't think that has anything to do with it. And by the way, remember Mandalorian, let's not forget about this. Mandalorian set a precedent that if they ever needed, like say they were weekly coming out on Fridays, they can take one episode and have it come out on a different day. Remember they did that with Mandalorian season one. So if they were worried about the opening of Black Widow, well then all they would do is just move that one episode, just move that one episode. Say this week, we're dropping an episode of Loki on on a Tuesday or whatever, right? They could do that. They did that with, they mixed things up a little bit with Mandalorian season one. They could have done that again. So again, I, I don't think that's the reason. Again, Kevin Feige's not here to tell me that that's the case or not. It very well could be the case. I'm just saying that's why I, it, it breaks precedent. So I don't really think that's the reason. All right, next up. Captain Blue Pants writes, my impression of the Marvel scissor reel was that it was mostly to highlight phase four and everything else would be part of whatever phase five ends up being. Given that each phase tends to end approximately three years on it. Here's the thing. Honestly, though, Captain Blue Pants, the phases are an illusion. The phases are completely not important whatsoever. Phase one Phase two, phase three, they are honestly just arbitrary um, things thrown out there. There's not actually any real significance to them. It's not like, okay, phase five is going to be this, and they plan it out all as one story. It's it's really more of an arbitrary thing. I mean, really, when you think about it, because what did phase four end on? Or phase three? What did phase three end on? It ended on Spider-Man Far From Home? That real no, the, the phases and Kevin Feige's talked about this. Really, phases are really just more arbitrary things that we can just sort of use to identify eras. 
So I honestly think, remember, um, we I had somebody connected with Marvel right into me. And we showed this on the show yesterday. It was really just they kind of showed and revealed everything up to what they actually had solidly booked in for when it's coming released. Uh, with the inclusion of Fantastic Four. Everything else beyond that, they are just not ready to announce and just not ready to have in stone their release dates yet. Even though they have some placeholder release dates and things like that, but things get moved around. So I honestly don't think it's because of phases. Because again, I think phases are just an arbitrary, meaningless kind of number that we give just to identify eras. But that's really pretty much it. At least that's my, my take on it based on what I've heard Kevin Feige say before. All right, next up. Uh, Vegas Row writes, Hey, John. My husband introduced uh, me to you years ago when you were on Collider. Uh, you were the epitome of somebody who loves what they do. I do love what I do. Uh, you come with the same energy and passion every day. I can't tell when you're having a bad day. Love your show. Well, Vegas Row, ask my headphones if my headphones can tell when I'm having a bad day. But no, listen, I love what I do. I mean, it's, it's funny. I was, I was talking to my coach yesterday or two days ago. I was talking to my coach on Tuesday and you know, we're talking about what it is I actually do for a living. And they were saying, you know, you know, do you like it? I'm like, listen, I am a major, major film fan. I've been passionate about movies my whole life. And I get to, I mean, I work my ass off, but I get to watch and talk about movies and storytelling every day. It's a dream. It's an absolute dream. I mean, I work harder at this job than I ever did working construction, than I ever did working in law, than I ever did working in anything else. But it's the dream. You know what they say? When you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. And so why wouldn't I be excited? And I love getting together with our film fan community. When people write in and say that they agree with the stuff I'm saying, when they write in and challenge and have different opinions on what I'm saying, it's all great. It's fun. We get to engage and it's a glorious time. So why the hell wouldn't I have this kind of energy when I get to do something great every day? I have to imagine uh, a porn star probably feels the same way about their art. That's how I feel about my job. I get to do something I love every day and it's great. So I'm kind of like a porn star. Not really, but I guess in a way but not at all. Anyway, let's move on. That analogy didn't work out the way I was kind of hoping it would, but thank you for writing that in Vegas. Appreciate that. Okay. Next up. Vegas also writes, um, uh, I see that Andy Garcia, I love him. I love Andy Garcia too. I, I think he's a terrific performer. As a matter of fact, uh, before the pandemic shut everything down, um, Ann and I went to this very, very famous LA theater. I think it's called the Giffen. I think it's called the Giffen, this, this live, live theater. And we got to go see a play with Andy Garcia as the star. And uh, actually a couple of the, a couple of the supporting characters from Mayans were also in the stage play anyway. Um, and Andy Garcia was awesome in this live show. He was awesome. And then he did a Q and a afterwards and about 50 of us got to come to this Q and a afterwards where, Oh, he was so good. Anyway, I think he's a terrific actor. Anyway, I see that Andy Garcia. I love him. We'll be doing a Latin remake of father of the bride. Everyone always references the one with Steve Martin. Uh, but I love the classic with Spencer Tracy and Elizabeth Taylor. What are your thoughts on the remake? Like on the Steve Martin remake or on the Anthony, Andy Garcia remake? Well, I mean, I honestly don't know much about, um, I don't know much about the um, uh, Andy Garcia remake at all. I know nothing about that. If you're talking about the Steve Martin one with Martin Short, the cock, the cake. Yes, the cock. Anyway, uh, Martin Short, 
Went to school in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, by the way. Best city in the world. Um, I love Father of the Bride. I love that remake. I love the Steve Martin version passionately. I think, I mean, I wasn't as big on like uh, the next one, but I really, really did love that one. All right, thanks for writing that in. Next up, we've got Tim Platt writes, gotta say, as a black man, this news of a black Superman really annoys me. Not that I'm necessarily opposed to a black Superman, but there can be upteenth versions of Clark Kent's Superman and now a Superman that's a completely different race. Um, As a black man, this news of a black Superman has me feeling, oh, he accidentally put in part one again. Um, Where is part two? Okay, part two. Uh, There are several iterations of lots of comic book heroes in cinema. But when there finally is a black superhero that had a tremendous cultural impact, all of a sudden recasting is a bad thing. I'm still an MCU fan, but not recasting T'Challa sucks. Oh, I see what you're saying. No, you're right. Listen, uh, again, we've talked, I mean, ever since the passing of the great Chadwick Boseman, we've talked about this a lot, but yeah, I... Why can everybody be, why is recasting understood that it's a good thing? The show goes on, the story continues, batons get passed. We understand that. We've had how many different versions of of Batman? We've had how many different versions of Superman? We've had how many different iterations of Joker? You know, Heath Ledger passed away. Nobody said, can never make Joker again. It's just, look, I have always thought, and I still do, the best thing to have done after the passing of Chadwick Boseman was to recast the role of T'Challa and carry on this character and this legacy that Chadwick Boseman, you know, partially was responsible for bringing to life the way it was. And I don't think the respectful thing is to now end that legacy. I don't think the respectful thing is to say, hey, you made T'Challa this incredibly culturally important figure, massively popular, hugely successful. Let's never do that character. Let's throw the character away. Let's throw the character away. I I, I don't think that's the truly respectful thing to do. I think the truly respectful thing to do is let's honor this work by saying Chadwick You can't carry the baton anymore, but don't worry about it. Don't lose your rest over this. We got your back. We will pick up this baton and we will carry it for you. And we will carry it further into the future and carry on this legacy. That's how you've done. That's how you honor the man's legacy, in my opinion. In my opinion. I'm not annoyed that Disney um, isn't recasting because I get it. It, It's coming from a good place in their heart. You know, they listen... Everybody's just trying to do what they think is the right thing to do, right? And you got to respect that. I mean, the reason I may not agree with his conclusion or their conclusion, but I know that the reason Ryan Coogler and Kevin Feige are doing what they're doing is because they honestly feel that's the right thing to do. I don't agree, but I know that's why they're doing what they're doing. And if that's somebody's motivation, it's hard to be annoyed. When you know that deep down they're just trying to do what they think is the right thing to do. And I, I so I disagree, but I completely respect it. And uh, it, look, it, look, it's still Ryan Coogler, man. It's going to be great. Whatever I sure whatever they do with Black Panther Wakanda Forever is going to be great. All right. But thanks for sharing your thoughts on that, Tim. Really appreciate your insight on that, man. All right. Wonder writes. 
I've been following and watching since the Man of Steel review. I am excited to see a Superman that is also president. I mean, that's if they do Calvin Ellis. Remember, in the comics, there is not Cal-El, but Kal-El, a different version of Superman who is black and also happens to be president of the United States. Superman as president seems like there should be a separation of powers there, but it's a very interesting take with the Calvin Ellis character, but we don't know that it's Calvin Ellis that they'd be doing. Uh, It could be another iteration, could be a different take on Clark Kent. Who knows? Anyway, uh, that would be awesome, though. I still uh, still part of me really wishes we were getting an icon movie. Have a wonderful day. It is nuts how many people I've been seeing seeing mentions of icon like people really want to see an icon thing done. And I'm seeing that all over the place. Anyway, thanks for sending that in, man. All right. Next up, Ms. Marvel Martin or Martian writes, John, you're always talking about how directors shouldn't stay on a franchise too long. Yet, Peyton Reed is doing three Ant-Mans back to back. And I'm sorry, but Ant-Man and the Wasp was a big step down. Should he be doing other projects in between? All right. So what Ms. Marvel is talking about is that I really do feel it's not in stone rule, but I think generally speaking, it's good for a filmmakers not to stay on just one property exclusively for too long of a period of time, because I think you lose a little bit of your creative juices. I think that's what happened to Sam Raimi with, uh, and cause Sam Raimi is great, but by the time you got to Spider-Man three, you could just tell he had lost a little bit of his creative juice on it. Now I know, I know the popular thing is to say, well, Judd, um, uh, Spider-Man 3 was actually Sody's fault because they made him put in Venom. So what? So what? Sony said put in Venom. So make a good movie with Venom. It's, it's not an excuse. I mean, I still think the first Avengers movie is, I personally feel, and it's all subjective, but I personally feel the first Avengers movie is still the greatest comic book movie ever made. Guess what? Um, originally, cause I was at a Q and a with the director, originally the director totally planned on having wasp as the main female character in Avengers. And the studio came to him and said, Nope, that's not what we got planned. So you got to take wasp out. We want you to make it black widow. That's in the Avengers. And the filmmaker had to go, okay. I mean, it's your property. You're the boss. All right. So he had to take out wasp. The, what, what Whedon actually said was, let's put it this way. My draft of Avengers was very waspy, is what he said. It's very waspy. But they said, all right, you got to take out Wasp. And we want you to put in Black Widow because we got plans for Black Widow. So what did he do? He made a great movie with Black Widow. He didn't make a bad movie and then, ex- then make an excuse as because, well, they made me put in Black Widow. No, I get it. The studio wanted Sam Raimi to have... The studio wanted Venom in their third Spider-Man movie. That doesn't give you an excuse for making a bad movie. And Spider-Man 3 was Sam Raimi's bad day at the office. Every Even Spielberg hasn't had a bad day at the office. It doesn't change that. He's great. Anyway. Sorry, getting a little bit sidetracked there. Getting back to the main topic at hand. So I generally feel, generally feel, that it's good for a filmmaker to take a break and go away from it. Christopher Nolan is the perfect example. Christopher Nolan did a Batman movie. Then he went away and did a different movie. Then he came back and did The Dark Knight. Then he went away and made another movie. Then he came back and did The Dark Knight Rises. Then he went away and made another movie. And he always kept himself sharp and fresh. Now, there are examples, like look at the Russo brothers, right? 
I mean, they did Winter Soldier, Civil War, Infinity War, Endgame. They stayed in the same universe for a long time. Now, granted, that's a little bit different because they were constantly able to bring in other directors, characters, and stuff like that. Sure. Um, but yeah, listen, I, I would have, I would feel better about Ant-Man 3 if Peyton Reed, although Marvel has kept Peyton Reed very, very busy because he's also doing, like, he directed Mandalorian. He did a lot of stuff. But anyway, and it, look, he did. He worked on Mandalorian, so maybe that kind of counts. He's he's kind of been mixing it up a little bit, so maybe that counts. I thought Ant-Man 2 was a step down from the first Ant-Man. I didn't think it was a massive step down. Like, I still thought Ant-Man and the Wasp was very entertaining. I still thought it was quite good. As good as the first Ant-Man? No. I still thought it was quite good. But Peyton Reed has done a lot of other stuff for Marvel behind the scenes, not to mention he came in and directed a little bit of Mandalorian. Um, so he has been mixing it up a little bit. So it'll be interesting to see how Quantumania uh, actually works out. Anyway, thanks for writing that in, Ms. Marvel Martian. Appreciate that. All right. Luke or Little Drum writes, The Hollywood Reporter says that Joker 2019 movie and the upcoming The Batman film are in the same universe. Again, we already addressed that. They actually didn't say that. Um, as well as that, Joker 2019 is getting a sequel. What are your thoughts on this? Are you surprised? Loved your movie, by the way. Uh, hope is not... Uh, hope it's not your last. Well, thank you so much. And of course, as he's talking about my movie, he is, of course, referring to my documentary. I haven't plugged this in a while. My documentary, Movie Trailers, A Love Story. I spent most of 2020, you know, all of 2020 and a little bit of 2021 making this documentary. It is about movie trailers. Uh, whatever country you live in in the world, you can go right now and watch it. Uh, it is at vimeo.com slash on demand slash movie trailers. Or if you live in the U.S. or the U.K., you can watch it on Amazon. Uh, using Amazon. Just simply go onto Amazon and search for movie trailers, a love story. You can go and find it there. And thank you to everybody who has watched my documentary. And uh, thank you for giving me an opportunity to plug it here a little. All right. Anyway. Um, so again, we already covered the whole thing them saying that Batman and the Joker are in the same universe. I really don't think that's what they were saying at all. The other little interesting part about that, um, about that, is, and let me see if I can bring this up again here. Yes. Let's go down to um, the second last line. Joker and its planned sequel. Joker and its planned sequel. Well, here's the thing. that there's nothing, This isn't new news. That's why The Hollywood Reporter didn't have its own headline saying, Joker sequel moving forward. This is actually very old news. We, we talked ages ago, uh, probably like a full year ago, about the fact that Warner Brothers is looking at doing another Joker film. And they're putting concepts together. Now, it's not officially greenlit. It's not officially happening. It, could, it may it very well may, but this isn't brand new news. So all the whole, all the reporter was talking about was just referencing a very old piece of news. So number one, they weren't saying that Batman and Joker happened in the same universe. And then number two, the thing about its planned sequel for Joker, that's not actually anything news. That's just him referencing what we've been talking about for over a year now. And we'll see what actually transpires as we move forward. But you bet your ass, man. You bet your ass, little that when they make it official that they're doing another Joker, it will be a headline story, not a little line buried in a story about DC doing a black Superman. So let's keep our eyes open for it, and we'll see if and when that comes along. All right, thanks for writing that in, little uh, Lindell. Uh, next up, 
Uh, Tim, we already got Tim's second part there. Uh, Ms. Marvel Martian. Oh, that's one got repeated as well. I mean, maybe you didn't realize you sent it in already, but thank you, Ms. Marvel Martian. Uh, Cutter Hale writes, are you going to see The Wrath of Man this weekend? Oh, you're damn right. I'm going to go see The Wrath of Man this weekend. Um, I love Guy Ritchie. He's one of my favorite directors. I love Guy Ritchie. My favorite movie of his is The Man from Uncle. He did such a great job on that movie. I think it's criminally underrated, and I'm really looking forward to this one. Love Jason Statham as well. Listen, Guy Ritchie, uh, I love Man from Uncle. Obviously now with, I've and you're right, It's The Man from Uncle is criminally underrated. Uh, Henry Cavill is fantastic in it. Army Hammer is fantastic in it. But it's Army Hammer. So we are probably, I mean, look, financially wise, the movie did poorly. But even though the movie did poorly box office wise, the studios recognized a lot of people really love that movie. And there was a growing belief at the studio that if they do another one, it could get better financial results. So there has been a lot of whispers for a while now that a Man from Uncle 2 could actually happen. However, with all the stuff going on with Army Hammer, and again, I am not TMZ, I'm not here to go in all the little personal drama bullshit, but with all the Army Hammer stuff, that looks extremely unlikely. I think it's fair to say, at the least, that looks extremely unlikely. So, yeah, there's that. But you're right, man. But guy, but at least easily, my favorite Guy Ritchie film is Snatch. Snatch is in my top 20 favorite films of all time. I talk about that a lot. Snatch is, is literally in my top 20 all-time favorite movies. I love that. But he goes everything from Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Snatch can do something like A Man from Uncle. Then comes out of nowhere... Um, and does uh, Aladdin. I never would have thought he would have been a good match for Aladdin. He did such a great job on Aladdin. And by the way, my third favorite movie of 2020, The Gentleman, which I thought was great. And now he's got this, uh, this uh, The Wrath of Man, which the trailers look like a lot of fun. It looks truly like a Guy Ritchie film. And I cannot wait to see. It's a good couple. Guys, listen, how does it feel? That we're kind of getting a little bit back to normal here, right? We got Wrath of Man opening this weekend, going to the movies for that. Next week, we've got that looks insanely good uh, for those who wish me dead from the same filmmaker as um, Hell or High Water and uh, Wind River. So for those who wish me dead, starring Angelina Jolie. Then a couple weeks after that, also this month, we've got A Quiet Place too. Like, listen to us. We're talking about the release schedule again. It feels pretty good. It feels pretty damn good to be talking about the release schedule again. I'm going to tell you what. All right, next up, we've got uh, Cameroon Man Rights, or Ca Cameron Man Rights. Are you guys excited for the TV adaptation of Wheel of Time by Robert Jordan? I am not. That doesn't mean I'm not going to watch it and, and maybe love it. I, I would be lying to you, though, if I said I was, exciting for, I was excited for it. Uh, Robert is, though. Not, not going out of his mind excited, but I know Robert is very much looking forward to that. So me, it's just going to be... I'll just watch it and see what they do. I and and maybe it'll get me completely on board, kind of like Harley Quinn did and the Nevers did and and the Expanse did. But uh, yeah, again, I'd be lying to you if I said I was excited right now. I'm not excited yet, but let's see how that evolves. All right, Simon writes. Uh, my two cents. MCU has won. Uh, all to Feige. Now, with the elephant out of the room, let me say this. 
that whether DCEU succeeds with connected movies or standalones, that it will not succeed until Warner Brothers learns to stop interfering uh, with the movie's production, direction, editing, and special effects, etc. regarding the DC movies. I've learned over decades to stop comparing DC and Marvel, and I hope that we can we get to stop comparing the two movies, learning to appreciate each in their verses. I agree. I agree. Like... Batman versus Superman, you don't evaluate how good of a film it is by comparing it to Civil War. Just look at it. And when I just look at Batman versus Superman, I see a really good, really enjoyable, fun movie. I like that movie a lot. Not as much as Man of Steel, but I like that movie a lot. So you're right about that. However, let me address this one elephant in the room, okay? Let me address the real elephant in the room. People forget something. Now, I I hear a lot of people say, because it feels like the cool thing to say, the studio needs to stop interfering in the filmmaker's vision because the filmmaker, you know, with their coiffed hair, the filmmaker is the artist. Let the filmmaker make their film. You know, that's a very romantic way of looking at it, but it's not reality. The reality is filmmaking is very, very collaborative. And also the reality is the movie is not the director's movie. It is the studio's movie. It's their movie. It's their property. It's their franchise. It's their money. It's their asses on the line. But but here's the other thing. I, I've heard a number of people, Simon, say that, you know, uh, DC just needs to stop interfering with the vision of the directors and all that kind of stuff. Do you know what studio has the most studio interference? If you want to talk about a studio jumping in, getting involved, giving directives about what can happen, what can happen, change this, do whatever. Do you know what studio? Um, you know what studio interferes more than any other studio? Marvel. Kevin Feige has absolute direct control over everything that happens in the MCU. Now, his interference happens in a very constructive way. Like, his interference happens in a way that he will sit, he doesn't sit down with a filmmaker and say, yeah, 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 you just go and make whatever movie you want to make. No, 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 no. Kevin Feige sits down, and speaking of Peyton, uh, uh, Peyton Reed, uh, he was talking about this. And so did Taika Waititi when he was when he was making uh, Thor Ragnarok. He was talking about this, that what Kevin Feige does, generally speaking, is he sits down with the filmmakers and he basically sets up the playground and he says, "Okay, this is what you can do and this is what you cannot do in this movie that you're going to direct for me. I need this to happen. I need this to happen. I need this character to end up in this kind of a place. We cannot have this, 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 or this. Okay, now that you understand the fence around the playground, you as the filmmaker can now do whatever you want inside that playground. I've set the parameters of the things that must happen and the things that must not happen. Now you engage your creativity within that playground and you do what you want to do. But listen, when I got to do um, 
I had this amazing, incredible day. One of my favorite days of my career where, where I actually got to be the moderator for the press day of uh, one of the Avengers movies. And I was standing outside of the building where the press event was going to happen, waiting for Kevin Feige. And Kevin Feige pulls up in this golf cart being driven by somebody as he's frantically on his phone and his laptop trying to do all these things. And I'm like, dude, you look frazzled. And he's like, in like the last hour, I had to go and improve the new trailer. I had to approve the the visual, these new visual shots on this movie that we're doing. I had to do a script review of this thing and blah, blah, blah. Kevin Feige is iron fistly directly involved with every single one of these movies that gets made. And you bet your ass, not a single frame of anything in a Marvel movie hits a screen that he doesn't approve. So when you're talking about studio interference, what do I always say, guys? Winning cures everything, right? Nobody cares about studio interference when the movies turn out great. When the movies turn out great, you know what we call studio interference? We call it teamwork. When the movie's great, studio interference is called collaboration. When the movie turns out badly or not up to what we wanted it to be, we call collaboration studio interference. But nobody minds when the movie turns out great because winning cures everything. We overlook it. So I don't think the problem, um, I don't think the de facto problem that DC has had over the years is necessarily studio interference. I don't think that's it because Marvel has had has interfered far more with their movies. It's just making great movies is hard. So when you make, and, and also, I don't know, the audience... Like, you know, guys, you know me. I think Man of Steel is one of the greatest comic book movies ever made. I don't know why more people don't appreciate it, but they don't. It's all film is subjective. I think Batman versus Superman is fantastic, but, you know, a lot of people don't. That's the subjectivity of film. But, uh, yeah, again, it's it's a big, big discussion about studio interference. I just kind of chuckle a little bit when it comes up, and it's like, you do realize nobody interferes more than Kevin Feige, right? Like, you know that, right? So I don't know. I don't know. It's it's an interesting discussion. Um, I'm sure there are many aspects of it that I'm overlooking and, and not thinking about and maybe not taking into consideration. But yeah, every time I hear about everything, whenever I hear a, um, uh, a filmmaker in the MCU talking or whatever, you can just know it's it's so much of it is Feige. All right. Uh, next up. Uh, let's see here. But anyway, thanks for writing that in, man. I appreciate it. And I completely agree with you, man. We have to stop evaluating how good a Marvel movie is or how good a DC movie is by comparing them against each other. Evaluate a movie on its own merits. And I, I really hope, Simon, that we all as a fandom, myself included, move more towards that. So well said. All right, next up, Captain Blue Pants writes, John, now come on. There's like three characters out of what? Like 70 plus that have AI in their suits slash equipment in the MCU. It's definitely not widespread enough to say every character has it. Oh, I certainly have never meant for it to sound like that. No, uh, not saying your, your, your preference is wrong. I'm just saying let's not exaggerate. No, again, I just hate it when it happens because it doesn't need to happen. It's like saying, come on now, John, only four out of the 80 school children were murdered by the Lake Diamond Butcher. Let's not pretend like it's that big of a deal. No, no, no. I I get it. 76 of the children from the 
lake supernatural butcher survive. That's great. But I still hated that the four died. Like, I just, it does drive me a little bit crazy that, you know, you take a character like Spider-Man, who is so great, one of the iconic characters ever, and Black Widow doesn't need Iron Man armor. Hawkeye doesn't need Iron Man armor. But Spider-Man, one of the coolest comic book characters of all time, with the powers of the gods, with superhuman strength and speed and agility and magical spidey sense that they've never really defined. But that, yeah, he's not cool enough. You know what the kids love? The kids love Iron Man. Let's give him Iron Man armor. And then they give him Iron Man armor. That drives me crazy. It drives me crazy. I'm not saying that the entire MCU does it. I just really hope we don't see them do it. So that that's my thing. So I, you so you're right, Captain Blue Pants. You're right. I just I just hope it doesn't go on uh, all that much. All right, next up. Uh Cutter Hale writes. Just a little FYI for everyone. Quiet Place 2 tickets went on sale this morning. I did not know that the tickets went on sale. I'm going to have to get me my tickets. Anyway, I already snagged mine for the pre-showings on Thursday the 27th in D-Box. I'm so excited for this movie, and the first one blew me away. I had to experience it, or I had expectations for it. Yeah, I did not know. So thank you, Cutter. You put that on my radar. I'm going to get on, use my AMC A-list. I'm going to book my tickets for Quiet Place 2. And it's good to hear that they have the Thursday night previews because I want to see it as early as possible. So thank you for putting that on our... Uh, thank you for putting that on our radar, man. I really, really appreciate that. I'm a whole hell of a lot cutter. All right, next up, Ben Rayner writes, Hey, John, hope you're doing well. I am doing well, thank you. I'm excited for this new Superman change. It's great and keeping it fresh. I know you don't care about the right actors, guessing, but do you think Chiwetel Ejiofor is too old for the role? Uh, would you be good if they picked him? Well, listen, I think that, uh, sorry, I got to pull out a, Got a little mini fridge on my desk here that Ray gave me, and I get to keep my nice cold Zevia in there. Um, you know that I think Chiwetel Ejiofor is one of the best actors on the planet. Uh, I certainly think he is the most underrated actor on the planet. I've been a massive fan of this guy. And listen, if it wasn't for Matthew McConaughey's uh, well-deserved win, Oscar win, for Dallas Buyers Club, Chiwetel Ejiofor would have an Oscar right now. And by the way, Rob Lowe sends in a uh, super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Rob. I appreciate that, dude. Um, Chiwetel Ejiofor would have an Oscar on his mantle if it wasn't for that Matthew McConaughey point form. And Matthew McConaughey, full, full deserved, well done, Matthew. But he might be a little bit old for it. So let me, hey, Google, how old is Chiwetel Ejiofor? I hope I didn't send off your devices. So he's 43. So he's actually pretty young. So, nah, he's good. I mean, I think he's younger than uh, Mahershala Ali. And Mahershala Ali is about to start being Blade. But yeah, listen, whenever you start talking about casting for something, all I care about is is a good actor. I think Chiwetel Ejiofor is one of the best actors in the world. So yes, if they announced that Chiwetel Ejiofor was a new experienced Superman, as long as he's not supposed to be in Smallville, you know, have Chiwetel Ejiofor in a letter jacket in Smallville and pretending to be a kid. Yeah, that would be ridiculous. But if you have him um, as, as a little bit more of a seasoned Superman, oh, hell yes, because he's one of the greatest actors in the world. I mean, there are a lot of other actors I'd be good with too, but yeah, that would be definitely one of the big ones. All right, next up, 
where are we at here? We're at Jordy LaForge writes, fresh from his responsibilities off the Enterprise. Hey, John, I just watched the first two episodes of the Apple TV Plus show, The Mosquito Coast. I forgot that that thing was on. Anyway, uh, I'm really enjoying it so far. Have you had a chance to check it out? If so, what did you think? No. No, I, I, I know very little about it. I mean, I know the original stuff, but I know very, very little about it. But I will say this. Apple TV Plus has really impressed me. Um, with the, Other than that Jason Momoa show, C, I thought that was drivel. But the stuff I have watched, everything from Morning Show, uh, For All Mankind, they've, they're putting out quality stuff. They're putting out really quality stuff. And so uh, I would be interested in, in to learn more about that. Anyway, thanks, Jordy, for the recommendation on that, dude. Appreciate that very much. All right. Uh, let's see. Viper Higgins. I love that name. Writes, hey, John, is there a chance you could reach out to your sources and ask them, are Toby and Andrew in the new, spy- in the new Spider-Man? Because frankly, I can't take the speculation anymore. And if you were told something and can't reveal, it's okay to blink or cough. Thanks. No, listen, you guys know just because of how long I've been doing this, I, I have friends at Warner Brothers, I have friends at Marvel, I have friends at Universal, all that kind of stuff. But what I never do is I never ask things that I know they could get in trouble for if they told me. Like a lot of the times when I will share stuff on here about what's been shared with me by the studios, it's usually pretty innocuous, right? It's usually pretty harmless. Like we, I talked, I got information the other day. We shared it on the show about, you know, the fact that Marvel still has 20 plus projects on the board right now about why they didn't do any more past fantastic four and blah, blah, blah. But that's all pretty innocent and pretty innocuous. What I try not to do is put somebody in a position that I'm asking them to compromise themselves. Now, sometimes they will write stuff to me, say, Hey, can't be it just so you know, a little bit of this. And sometimes they'll tell me things and say, don't mention this to anybody, never repeat this, just for you and for you to know. And yeah, there have been things that I have known. Not a ton, but but there have been things I've known. Sometimes they will share things with me and saying, okay, you can reveal this, but do not mention even remotely about where it came from. Um, and then a lot of times they just, most of the time they just don't tell me anything. Now, I can tell you, now there have been times, I'm not going to be facetious, there have been times that I have just directly written to a contact of mine and say, hey, is so-and-so playing so-and-so? What happens 99% of the times when I write those emails, I get no response. None. And that sends a very, very clear message. I can guarantee you if I wrote to the people that I know who would actually know if Tobey Maguire and and, uh, Andrew Garfield um, are in the next Spider-Man movie and I directly asked them, are they in it? I can guarantee you that I just wouldn't get a response. I can guarantee you I just wouldn't get a response. Like, I don't have, I'm not so well connected that, you know, all these big studio execs have me on speed dial. Ooh, John Campia needs the scoop. I got John Campia right here on my speed dial, says Bob Iger. Gotta hit the old John Campia speed. No, no, I'm not. There are people in this business who do have those types of contacts. I am not one. 
Uh, I'm not one of those. I'm the type of person that I have made friends over the years at different studios who will sometimes tell me some things, but most of the times will not. So I'm just get I'm just letting you guys peek behind the curtain a little bit here. I don't ever want to give the impression like I am like the ultimate Hollywood insider. I'm not. I'm not remotely. I know a few people. I'll I'll find out some things here and there. Sometimes they will send me some information. A lot of times they won't, especially when it's like higher profile stuff. But um, yes, so there's no point in me writing to any of my sources to ask directly, hey, look, are Toby and Andrew going to be in this thing or not? Because they just simply wouldn't tell me. There's no way they would tell me. Because I am just not that well connected. <laughs> anyway, that's that. Thanks for asking, man. Uh, okay, next up. Thanks for writing that in, Viper Higgins. Next up, uh, Christian uh, Corbett writes, Hey, John, don't know if you've addressed this recently, uh, but would love to see you do some more poker live streams. They're amongst my favorite streams that you do. Yes, my poker play-in chats. Um, it's funny you mentioned that. I was just thinking about that yesterday. I think I will do a poker play-in chat this this week. Now, for those of you who, who don't know, and by the way, you know what I'm thinking about doing? All right, totally sidetrack here, guys. Let me know if you have any interest in this at all. What I am thinking about doing is um, I I go out and play poker now that now that I'm fully vaccinated and and you know everything is loosening back up and COVID cases have gone down in California. The last month or so, I've been going to play. Poker, like, I've gone to play poker like three times in the last month. And I am thinking about, because I've seen a bunch of poker vloggers, so I was thinking about maybe, actually, I can't live stream it, but, you know, taking a little camera and recording myself playing poker and editing together a video and putting it up on my channel to see what you guys think about me playing poker, uh, live cash poker at some of the, I don't know. But anyway, uh, some I do love playing WSOP uh, uh, video poker, uh, like, uh, online poker. It's not for real money. It's not for real money. It's just people who like to play poker online. And, uh, I do live playing chats. I've done those once in a while. I think I will do it again. I think I will do it again. All right. Thanks for that. Uh, Christian, I appreciate that. Next up, uh, BJW 86 writes one of two. Hey, John, I've been watching you since the AMC Movie Talk days. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate that. Uh, and I hope you continue to provide us with the awesome work that you do. I do not see why everyone is trying to find out who the next leader of the Avengers is going to be. Why doesn't Marvel just let the team lead itself? The Academy Awards didn't need a host to present their show. Oh, no, I think we've realized they really do need a host. I think we've realized that. Anyway, uh, they relied on some presenters. I believe there are some sports teams doing this, too. No, here's the thing, though. Um, I think go back to the first Avengers movie. Once you get into battle, you need a field commander. I, I just I just that's the case. Once you get into battle, you need a field com commander. Because otherwise, without everything going through, like without one person kind of given directive, you're uncoordinated. Right. And I think you really see that best in the first Avengers movie. You know, with Captain America going, uh, you know, Natasha, do this, Hawkeye, this, uh, Tony, this, and Hulk, smash. You know, you need that field commander. And every sports team does too. Like, you look at the best sports teams, they'll have strong leaders on the court. They'll have a strong lead. I mean, look, just look. The reason the LA Lakers won the NBA title last year is because they were being led by LeBron James, right? Right who's not only 
the best player in the NBA. Uh, that's arguable, but he's the best leader in the NBA. Like him and Chris Paul, LeBron James and Chris Paul are probably like the best leaders. And that's why wherever Chris Paul goes, the team's winning percentage goes up. Looks what, look at what he's doing this year, right? Went to a mediocre team and he has elevated them. He's just, that's what he does. I think strong leadership is always, always important. That doesn't mean you're more important than everybody else, but I think when it comes down to it, you need a leader. Anyway, that's just me. All right. Uh, next up, uh, Russell Amador writes, Hey John, Marvel omitted one movie that we thought would be, uh, that we, okay, let me try this again. Hey John, uh, Marvel omitted one movie that we thought would be blade coming in October of 22 but we now know that's scheduled for production next July. Did Marvel scrape that date? That probably meant scrap. Scrap that date, or is there something down the pipeline they'll revisit and announce for October of 2022? I, I don't know what the answer to that is. I will say this. I think we often read too much into these hold dates. I think we read too much into the hold dates. The main reason these studios will sometime publicly say, you know, oh, we've got something coming on this date and something coming on whatever date. That is just the studio firing a flare into the air to all the other studios. It's like, hey, guys, hey, guys, everybody else, if you're thinking about launching something on February 5th of 2023, just know that we're kind of planning on launching something on that date. So you've been warned, you've been warned, but I don't think it's, you know, something that's set in stone. Um, they don't need to set that in stone. I mean, it's not set in stone. So I really, I, I don't know what's going on with that. I suspect if they did have something coming out on that date, that it would have been mentioned. It would have been mentioned in that rundown. So I'm, I'm guessing we're not, but, you know, you never know. You never know. It's a good question though, Russell. All right, next up, we've got Willow who writes, out of curiosity, do you have an actual phobia when it comes to heights? Yes. Uh, the vast majority of people are afraid of heights, of falling to some degree. The whole point is going on a roller coaster is to experience a thrill. Uh, no, listen, there's, there's thrill and then there's like a phobia. I have a fear of heights. It's not a fear of falling. I don't have a fear of falling. I have a fear of heights. I remember this uh, one girl I was dating and uh, her mom was trying to rationalize with me. They're like, uh, are you afraid? Like, so you're afraid of flying? I say, yes, I, I, I hate flying. I'm terrified of flying. Like, I, I never let it stop me from flying. I fly all the time. But whenever I fly, I'm terrified. Uh, but I don't let it stop me from flying. And, but she goes, well, are you worried about landing? I'm like, no, I'm not. Landing's my favorite part. Like looking out the window and seeing the ground getting closer, it's awesome. She goes, well, you know, 90% of air incidents happen during landing. So you should be afraid of the landing. I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm not afraid of crashing. I'm afraid of heights. Once those wheels hit the ground, the plane, the wheels can burst in the flame. The, the plane can flip over 18 times. That's cool. I'm okay with that because I'm on the ground. And it's really weird because when I was like 16, 17, 18, I mean, I would climb the highest ladders. I do. I, I don't know why I never had a fear of heights. And then somewhere really oddly and magically between then and about 22 or 23 years old, 
I had just, I don't know what the cause of it was. I suddenly developed this massive fear of heights. It's crazy. And it's a very odd fear of heights. Like I can stand on a balcony in a building because to me in my mind, I'm still standing on solid ground. I don't know how that makes sense, but it does. But yeah, it's really weird, man. It's really, really weird. Anyway, I don't know if any of you have that same experience that I do. Anyway, next up, um, M56 Smart Gunner writes, Hey, John, I just wanted to check in and say how much I appreciate the amazing content every day. Thank you so much, man, and thanks for being here and being a part of it. Uh, With my long-term COVID and mental health stuff I have been dealing with, it helps so much big time. I'm still holding out hope for a new Aliens-type movie. I mean, you never know, right? You never know. There's still talk about that sort of stuff. And by the way, M56, can can I just mention how awesome I think it is when people actually come on and say out loud, this year has been a struggle for me. I've been going through a hard time. I have been struggling with my mental health. I think that is awesome. And the reason I think it's awesome is because of this, because a lot of people struggle with that stuff. And when people like you, M56, comes out and just says that out loud, you make everybody else who's also struggling with it feel like they're not alone. And by the way, Noah AG uh, sends in a super chat badge in the in the live chat there. Thank you, Noah AG. I appreciate that. Um, when when you come out and you verbalize it, it makes everybody else who struggles with that stuff feel like okay. So I'm not I'm not weird that I struggle with this stuff too. I'm not I'm not strange that I struggle with that too. And there's something very empowering about that. And that's why I think it's awesome when folks like you, and by the way, I'm going to let you in a little something here. For those of you who listen to the podcast, the pod, it won't be on the YouTube version of the show, but it will be on the audio only podcast version. Um, We just signed on a, a, a new sponsor and I was kind of inspired. Now I don't often accept sponsorships, but the reason I was inspired to accept this one is because of how many of you guys often write in to talk about the fact that movies really help me with my struggles. You know, movies have really sustained me when I've gone through this really, really hard time through a breakup or a loss of a family member or whatever. And there's a new sponsor we signed up and there you'll only hear uh, me do reads for them on my podcast version, but there is a, a therapy company called Talkspace. You guys have probably heard about it. And Um, they do, you know, they'll meet with people online with certified, uh, mental health experts and things like that. And when that, I got approached about them, cause I get approached about a lot of things about potential sponsorships, like a lot of VPNs and a lot of like different types of services. And I'm like, that's not really the type of stuff we want to promote on the show. Not that I have a problem with it. I'm just saying this, that's not here. But when I got approached, um, with a rep from Talkspace, I'm like, you know what? This is perfect. I've heard from so many people that talked about like the struggle that the devil's nutsack of a year 2020 caused and all that kind of stuff. And I'm really proud that they're starting in May or starting later this month that they're going to be uh, one of the sponsors of the podcast. And so anyway, there's a little bit of a inside thing. Now, all we need is Zevia sponsor me, you sons of bitches. We just need them to finally sponsor me. Then we'll be good. All right. Uh, let's see. Next up, we've got uh, James Argento writes, I think Disney moving Loki to Wednesday is to prepare for 2022 when Disney Plus will have several Star Wars shows and multiple Marvel shows. Uh, Marvel shows on Wednesdays, Star Wars shows on Fridays next year. We could 
we could an episode of Moon Knight and Obi-Wan in a three-day period. See, there, there, there could be something to that. There could be something to that. I don't know that we're ever going to have a Star Wars show and a Disney pl- and, and a Marvel show running at the same time. I think we are, I think the way Disney Plus, now I don't know this, this is me speculating out of my ass. Just be clear, I'm just speculating here. But I have a feeling what Disney's going to want to do is set it up so it's like, hey guys, every week, every week, you're going to get a new episode of a Star Wars thing or a Marvel thing. I think they're going to have it so one thing's running out of time. It helps optimize their content as well. Or maybe they'll go multiple things a week. I mean, there could be something to that, James. That could be a good insight. All right, next up. Uh, Peter Griffin writes, Hey, John and crew. Hope all is well. All is well, thank you. Movie recommendation, Space Movie 1992. I'm not familiar with it. Underrated and the cast is insane. Google it really quick if you've never seen it. The poster alone will sell you immediately. Space Movie 1992. I've never heard of it. Let me let me just do a quick search here. Space Movie 1992. Um, what am I looking at here? I'm getting Space 1999. But I don't think you're talking... Are you talking about Space 1999 with the Falcon? Yeah, anyway, I will look that up a little bit later, Peter. Thanks for that, man. All right, next up, Atreyu writes... Uh, I noticed the Black Panther 2 logo uh, has Wakanda Forever in a huge font compared to Black Panther above it. Do you think it could be more of a Wakanda movie than a Black Panther movie? Also, imagine if one more heart-shaped herb grew on T'Challa's grave. That would be very, there's something very poetic about that. Actually, I don't know if there's anything to that because if I look up Captain America Civil War, uh, hold on a second, let me just look this up quickly. Yeah, because look, if you see, let's bring this open here. Um, If we bring this up, Captain America, small letters, Civil War in giant letters, right? So uh, there's that. Or we could go, let me look up, um, let's see here, Captain America, uh, Winter Soldier. Let me just see that. Now, it's different with Captain America Winter Soldier. In Captain America the Winter Soldier, they went reverse. Captain America Winter Soldier has Captain America in the larger letters. Um, So, no, I think... Here's my guess. And again, we're just wildly speculating. My guess is that... If it was going to be really more of a Wakanda movie then it would just be called Wakanda Forever, right? Because honestly, that's one of those situations where you don't need the Black Panther name in there for people to be able to identify what is this movie, right? Like if they just called the movie Winter Soldier, everybody would be like, what? But you call it Captain America Winter Soldier. Oh, okay, okay. There's no confusion if you just call the movie Wakanda Forever. If you just call the movie Wakanda Forever, there's no problem with identifying with what that is. There's no confusion there whatsoever. So, no, I I do think it will be a Black Panther movie. It will focus on probably the emergence of the new Black Panther. So, yeah, just like in Captain America Civil War, I mean, yeah, Civil War is the big thing, but it was still 
de facto a, a Captain America movie because he was clearly the central character. But still, uh, yeah, I think if it was going to be just a movie about Wakanda, you just call it Wakanda forever. So, but again, we're just speculating. We're only speculating here. All right, next up. Um, thanks for that, Atreyu. Next up, Ryan G writes, Hey, John, I agree with you about the last season of Game of Thrones. It was great. I agree. The last season of Game of Thrones was awesome. Anyway, like you, they needed more episodes, but it was good, except Bran should have not been the king. It should have just went to, I know things, and I love to drink, what's his name? Oh, no, no, no. No, here's the thing about that. He could not, uh, Tyrion could not be the king. There was just too much baggage that went along with him. They did a really good job in the episode explaining why it couldn't be him. That would not have worked in the kingdoms. That would not have worked at all. And I actually personally really thought that being a Stark and his story, I love the way he explained it. His story is what, it's everybody will get behind him as king because of the story. And he comes from the lineage that he is. He is a Stark uh, and all that kind of stuff. So, I actually thought it worked out quite well. But even though Tyrion was my favorite character in Game of Thrones, like a lot of people, uh, but no. No, he couldn't have been, and I thought the show did a really good job of explaining that. And I'm glad to see other people who correctly believe, as I do, that Game of Thrones Season 8 was awesome. Uh, Just some people have limited vision. It's obviously all subjective. I'm toying around. It's all subjective. Yeah, man, I thought it was great. Anyway, Ryan Lohner, except there was no excuse for it being as short as it was. Ryan Lohner writes, one of two. People here have talked a few times recently about the lie that Benedict Cumberbatch wasn't playing Khan. One important piece of that story is that it actually wasn't planned at all. Damon Lindelof revealed it a while back that all they, that they all just panicked when more people uh, than they were expecting guessed from the trailer that he was con and said that they should have just admitted it. Oh yeah. But, but that, but still, that's the thing. JJ Abrams still directly came out and directly said he's not playing con union sing. Now, whether it's because, uh, people were guessing it. It doesn't matter. They still flat out denied that he was playing Khan Union Singh. And of course he was playing Khan Union Singh, right? So it is, I mean, you're right about that, but whatever the motivation is, they wanted it that, you know, too many people were guessing it, which it was pretty obvious. Um, they wanted it to be a distraction. They wanted it to be a misdirect, whatever. Still, they did it. They still did it. Doesn't matter at what point they started or what their motivation was. They still completely denied that he was it, even though everybody obviously knew he was. It was clear as day. I still remember we were doing AMC Movie Talk at the time. And I still remember doing a show where we talked specifically about J.J. Abrams just denied it. And I remember us saying on the show, yeah, he's lying. It's obvious he's lying. Benedict Cumberbatch is clearly playing con. We all know it. Everybody knows it. So, like, none of us believed it, even though they they kept trying to pass off the lie. All right, next up. Ryan G writes, Hey, John, hear me out. Uh, This is just a joke, but hear me out anyways. Everyone in the Time Variance Authority, the TVA, is Mephisto, but not Loki or Owen Wilson's character. Loki says that's absurd, and Owen Wilson says, wow, everyone's Mephisto. Loki has an idea to get back in time the end. Ah, yes. The Marvel Cinematic Mephisto. I still never get tired of that. Let me see if I can find this. Um, hold a second. Uh, Mephisto and the winter. Uh, let me see if I can find this. Somebody sent this to me. There it is. 
Somebody sent this to me, and I remember I shared it on my Twitter because I thought it was the most hilarious thing. So this was just shortly after, shortly after WandaVision was wrapping up, and we were WandaVision had just wrapped up, and everybody was still all buzz about it. it's Mephisto. This is Mephisto. That's Mephisto, and we were getting ready for Falcon and Winter Soldier, and I still to this day don't know who made this. But I remember somebody sent me this graphic of the upcoming Falcon Winter Soldier. It's Mephisto Studios presents Mephisto and the Winter Mephisto. And I don't know why, but when I first opened that and I saw this image, I just started laughing my ass off. And then I would look at it again and I'd start laughing again. I still right now, I, I just Mephisto and the Winter Mephisto. I just thought that was brilliant because we all we all did pretty much get caught up in that. All right, thanks for that, Ryan. Next up, the Canadian kid CJ writes, Hey, John, I hope you're doing well. I am doing well, thank you. A couple of days ago, you disagreed with me when I said that they should explain where Doctor Strange was during WandaVision. In my perspective, Wanda was a threat to reality uh, at that point and was a Doctor Strange-specific issue. Not really. Um uh, was that one of two? Oh, no, 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 it was just one of one. I mean, I, I get it. You can interpret it that way, but you got to remember WandaVision. It was not like Falcon and the Winter Soldier that took place over the course of five or six months. WandaVision literally took place over the course of a couple of days and it was very isolated, uh, into, in one spot. And no, you don't need like, listen, whenever you do a superhero movie, you don't need to explain where all the other superhero movies were. I always said that I always kind of found that Marvel was kind of making fun of us fans a bit when you got to Spider-Man far from home and Spider-Man. I, I honestly think this entire scene was Marvel kind of laughing at us in, in a fun way, in a fun and, and an enjoyable way. When they had Spider-Man goes, what about Thor? This thing. What about Captain Marvel? Blah. What about this? Like, I felt like that was Marvel kind of making fun of the fact that we as fans, whenever they try to do a solo movie, we're all like, where was this hero? And where was that hero? And where's that hero over there? I, I mean, right? Who knows? Listen, there could be a billion different things. We didn't need an explanation about why didn't, uh, you know, Anthony knew Wanda. Anthony Mackie's character, Sam Wilson, he knew Wanda. Why didn't he go to help her? Why didn't Why didn't Doctor Strange come come and help? Bruce knows Wanda. Why Why didn't Why didn't Doctor Banner come and help? You, we got to accept at some point that these um that these movies need to be told for the individual characters, right? And it's like Kevin Feige said, like bringing in Doctor Strange and all that kind of stuff, that just would have been taking away from Wanda. And it would have just made it made the entire WandaVision series feel like instead of its own true story, it would have just made WandaVision feel like Doctor Strange 2, the prequel. Right? The prequel to Doctor Strange 2. And so, no, they did not need to explain where Captain... Any more than if you, you know, I put up a picture. I'll show you this. I put up a picture... Um, let me see if I can even find it. I'm not sure that I can. But I put up a picture. Oh, here it is. I'll, I'll show you quick, right? I put up a picture uh, yesterday on my social media uh, with me and uh, clearly Ben Affleck sitting in my backyard. And I put up this picture uh, in my backyard because I just got this new little fire pit, right? I was very, very proud of this little fire pit. So 
if somebody were to see that, like if my life was the MCU, instantly people going, why, do, why don't you explain in that picture why Robert isn't there? John, I, I hope you write in a story about why Aaron Cummings isn't there. John, how come Kimberly Curran isn't there? John, where was Anne? You need to explain why Anne is in that picture. No, it was just a picture of me sitting in the backyard. I don't need to explain where Robert was. I don't need to explain where Anne was. I don't need to explain where Aaron was. It was just a picture. All right. So anyway, there's that. All right, let's move on here. Next up. Uh, let's see. Uh, Chronic Inc. writes, Hey, John, the next Transformers film seems to have gained a lot of momentum with Stephen uh Cable Jr., who did Creed 2. If you don't recognize Steven's name, he's the guy who stepped in for Ryan Coogler to direct Creed 2. Uh, reported as director, and more recently, Anthony Ramos and Dominique Fishback announced as the leads. Just curious to hear your thoughts. Thanks. I really can't give my thoughts right now because I haven't really read anything about it. I- I've just seen some people writing on Twitter uh, about like some new movement in Transformers. It's still really, really early. Uh, but as of right now, uh, I don't have uh, I don't have really an opinion about it at this point, but uh, stay tuned tomorrow. We will probably talk about this a little bit tomorrow when we get around to Transformer stuff. Anyway, thanks for writing that in, Chronic. Appreciate it, man. All right, next up. The Canadian Kid CJ writes, one of two. I also told you earlier in the week that I've been watching for almost 10 years. What I didn't get to mention is the positive impact this show has had on my life. Because of you, I have fallen in love with movies, and that love has got me through a lot. Whether I'm having a bad day, a sad day, or the anxiety kicks in, your show always manages to make me feel better. From the bottom of this Canadian kid's heart, thank you for 10 years of amazing content. Always remember that your work matters. Dude, thank you so much. I appreciate that. And I... You know, again, it just speaks to the fact that, you know, movies and the fan community that surrounds it, they're not just escapes. They're nourishment for our souls and our imaginations and our dreams. And it's just an amazing thing about that. And when you can get with a movie or the fans that surround it and engage for a while, honestly, I think it's really therapeutic. I think it's nourishing to our to our souls and our psyche and our imaginations. I think it it's so good for us and I'm really really grateful that I get to be a part of that and that you get to be a part of that Canadian can CJ. So dude, seriously, thank you so much for the kind words and it's awesome that the movies and and the the TV shows and the storytelling that we as humans do can be that for you like it is for a lot of the other the rest of us. So thanks a lot for that, man. I appreciate the sentiments, dude. All right, next up. Uh BK Dan writes John and Rob, Rob's not here today, obviously. Uh, Did you know slash realize that the synopsis for V was originally done as a story from the old Twilight Zone with Rod Sterling narrating how best to serve humans, which it's a cookbook. Uh, No, I did not. I did not know that. I mean, I'm very familiar with that episode, but uh, I did not know that. I mean, is that true or is that something you're interpreting? Do me a favor and let me know if that's actually true. Because if that's true, that's a really cool piece of trivia. Of course, uh, we were talking about V, the miniseries uh, from the 1980s with Michael Ironside and Beastmaster and, and Robert Englund. I love, as a kid, man, I loved that show. It freaked me out. It was awesome. Great sci-fi. I loved it. Anyway, thanks for that little bit of info, BK. All right, Anonymous Viewer writes, 
Um, hey, John, back in 2004, there was an interview quote from Paul Bettany that he looked similar but was much more affordable than Jude Law. I remember that, actually. Um, nearly 20 years and many movie franchises later, which uh, austere British actor uh, came out on top? Um, I mean... I don't know that it's, you know, there, it's not a competition between Paul Bettany and Jude Law. Look, Paul Bettany is amazing, right? Whether it's in Knight's Tale, A Beautiful Mind, Master and Commander, I am a big fan of Wimbledon. I know not a lot of people love that little rom-com that he did. I personally like it very much. Hell, I even like uh, his movie that he did called Priest. Do you guys remember that movie? Priest? It, it was just this silly little uh, action movie. Hold on a second. Um, this silly little action movie he did, but I actually thought it was really good. I enjoyed Priest. I got a big kick out of it. Anyway, it's not a matter of comparing Paul Bettany to Jude Law because they have had very, very different careers. Bettany has really excelled in supporting roles. Like, again, we were talking about, like, when, when the, the most prominent films that he's really been a part of, MCU notwithstanding, but the most prominent films that he's been a part of, Master and Commander, which is just absolutely fantastic. Um, a Beautiful Mind, which I believe won Best Picture at the Academy Awards. I think A Beautiful Mind won Best Picture. I could be wrong about that, but I think it did. Um, obviously, A Knight's Tale that he did with Heath Ledger. That's where he's really known from. His highest profile projects have been the ones that he's kind of been a supporting actor in. Now, Jude Law has also had a lot of movies that he was a supporting actor in, but also Jude Law had a good considerable part of his career um, where he was also a leading man. Like Jude Law was kind of recognized for a while as an A-list leading man. By the way, I just I want to throw this in here, me with Paul Bettany. I love Paul Bettany, who is surprisingly tall. I guess everybody could tell that by watching WandaVision. Because I'm like about six feet. Paul Bettany, pretty tall dude. Anyway, um, so I I love Bettany. But I don't know if you talk about who's on top. I, I don't know. I guess at the end of the day, because maybe you say Jude Law, because Jude Law is a little bit more the more recognizable name. He did break through from not just being a great supporting performer, but also a, 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 a legitimate lead in a lot of films. So... I maybe Jude Law, but then again, you know, Paul Bettany's been in the MCU as an ongoing character. First as Jarvis, then as Vision. He's had one division. So, I mean, it all depends on what your criteria is, but they're both amazing. They've both had and continue to have great careers. So, yeah, there's that. Here's hoping to see Jude Law in uh, Sherlock Holmes 3. I'm going to sneeze. <laughs> ah, sorry, I was fighting that sneeze for a bit. Anyway, so there's that. All right, next up. We got Taki 75 writes, here's one movie we need to talk about more. And one of my fondest childhood memories, Crawl, uh, Crawl, The Widow of the Web, The Ride of the Fire Mares, The Black Forest, a young Liam Neeson. That's right. He's in there. And a killer soundtrack by James Horner. What's not to love? Dude, I am telling you what. Remember the blade, the five pointed star blade? Dude, I lost track of how many times I would get like, uh, like uh, uh, some kind of tin, like tin metal where I would rip open uh, uh, soda cans or something. I, I tear open soda cans and try to shape and make my own little crawl star. 
and I'd go, you know, to the backyard where a tree and try to throw my, my handmade crawl star <laughs> into the tree. And I'm sure I'm not the only kid who did that. I am 100% sure I'm not the only kid who did that. Oh man, crawl. That's one I have not watched for a long time, my friend. That's one I have not watched that one in a long time. All right, next up, uh, Stever Bix writes, "Hey John and Rob, been watching shows since AMC. So here's my question: We know the X Men are coming to the MCU. Do you think that they would get a glimpse of any member of the team before a movie actually comes out? That's been a very common question. Like, like a lot of people thought." And, and understandably so, like that maybe in WandaVision, an, an X-Men or two might show up. Like, will we get a glimpse of Storm in a movie before an X-Men property comes out? Will we get a glimpse of Cyclops, you know, Scott Summer, in a movie or a Disney Plus series before we see them in a proper X-Men thing or Wolverine, whatever? My guess is no. My guess is that when we, the first time we're going to see X-Men characters, it's going to be in an X-Men title. Um, I think it will be a full, 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 full blown, fully fledged X-Men title. Um, will be the first time we get a glimpse of actual X-Men characters. Now again, I don't know that. I'm not willing to put money on that. I'm, I'm simply speculating and guessing, but my guess is that, you know, much like Eternals, our first look at the Eternals is going to be in Eternals. Much like Guardians of the Galaxy, our first look at any of the Guardians of the Galaxy was in Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, that's what I think they're going to do. Now, then again, we got a glimpse of Black Panther before the Black Panther movie. But I do think with X-Men, they're going to go um, they're going to go introducing us to them in their own title. So we'll see. It could be wrong. Could be wrong. But that's what my guess is. Thanks for the question, Steve. All right. Next up. Power Blast writes, Captain Marvel is the first female title in the MCU. Monica is the first black female superhero in the MCU. Kamala is the first Muslim superhero in the MCU. Uh, that is a lot of firsts, John. I'm so happy. I'm so happy I can see why it's the Marvels. It's going to be marvelous. I'm very excited for it. I mean, obviously, number one, I really did like the Monica Rambo character in WandaVision. Uh, I love the fact that they went out and got a good Canadian girl to play Kamala Khan for Ms. Marvel. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. And again, Marvel keeps kicking open new doors for themselves. They keep going into new territory for themselves. They're diversifying. They're mixing it up. I love that they're doing that. I mean, again, listen, I, I have no complaints about it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not complaining about it. But the reality is that like the first 20 MCU movies were all white male leads. I am a proud white male. I have no problem with that. But, you know, when you go 20 in a row, it kind of looks like maybe you've got an agenda. And I'm not saying they did. They definitely didn't. I'm, I'm, they certainly didn't. But when you go like 20 films in a row without having something or somebody other than a white male lead, it looks whatever. But now we've gotten to the point that now the MCU is diversifying a bit, you know, of course, they started with, you know, with Black Panther and Captain Marvel. Now we got Monica Rambo. We're going to have Kamala Khan. Uh, and we got other things coming too. We got Shang-Chi coming, giving our, uh, us our first Asian lead uh, hero in the MCU, which is going to be great. Uh, and, 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 but again, still 
you know, pasty white guys like me, we, we're still getting our representation. We're getting Thor Love and Thunder. We're getting Loki. Uh, we're like, we, so we got more of these things coming along the way as well. So, I mean, it's good. And it's just good to see Marvel mixing it up and not just keep doing everything the same. So it's fun to see. All right, next up. Um, uh, I never know how to pronounce uh, Guillaume LaBelle. I, I'm, I'm sure I'm pronouncing it wrong. At any rate, I just saw... Uh, the Marksman with Liam Neeson. And as cliche as the story was, I enjoyed it. Normally, I think child actors can get a little annoying. Absolutely, they can. But I thought the kid was pretty good. Kind of reminds me a bit of a lesser Logan uh, at times. Did you see it? No. Which is unfortunate because I really should. Because, yes, every Liam Neeson movie is... Uh, every Liam Neeson movie is the same. <laughs> I, mean, let's, I mean, lately... Lately, every Liam Neeson movie is the same, but I'd be lying to you if I didn't tell you I got a kick out of them. It's it's a definitely a formula, but it's a formula that works to a degree. But no, I didn't. I think Liam Neeson had like five very similar looking movies come out all within about three weeks of each other. But no, The Marksman is not one I've had a chance to watch yet, but it is one I will sit down and watch at some point, but I haven't had a chance to see it yet. Thanks for writing that in. All right, next up. Uh, Chief Martin Brody writes, Hey, John and Rob. Rob's obviously not here today. I really enjoyed my octopus teacher, but honestly, my favorite doc last year was movie trailers, a love story. Thank you so much, dude. Uh, was your film ever considered for an Oscar nomination? How would an indie doc like yours uh, place its hat in the ring for an Oscar nomination? Bring on the filthy. Well, here's the thing. Uh, no, my film was, my film never met eligibility. Now, there is a certain set of rules that a movie has to meet in order to be eligible. It's the eligibility requirements. Last year was a little bit different. So I don't know, maybe if I did the right things, I could have made it eligible, but let's be honest. My movie is not an Oscar movie uh, by any stretch. I, I appreciate, I'm very, very super proud of my movie. I'm very, very proud of my movie. I think my movie's great. Um, but I don't have delusions of grandeur that it should have been an Academy Award nominated film. Not at all. But um, I mean, I don't know, maybe, may, maybe if I had done certain things and I had researched what the changed rules were for this COVID year, maybe there was a way I could have made my movie eligible for consideration. But I think even then it couldn't have like normally the normal rules of eligibility require that your film has to play in theaters in at least a theater in New York and Los Angeles where a paying audience can come and see the film. So right there, my movie would have made it. My, my movie never played in a theater. Uh, but they've been changing them. So I don't know what I would have had to have done, if anything. Not that I would have had a chance anyway. But anyway, dude, thank you so much for the kind words about my documentary. I really do appreciate it very much. All right. Uh, next up. And this will be our last one of the day, guys. Uh, Nehemiah writes, John, can we agree that the DCU is about dead? Uh, Warner Brothers keeps making DC movies that's not connected to the DCU. Batman, Joker, now Superman, but no DCU Batman movie uh, or no sequel to Man of Steel. I mean, why do a shared universe WB changes their plans every few years? Oh, I completely disagree, Nehemiah. I think I, my, my film lover brother, my film loving brother, I think you're out to lunch. Uh, not at all. This, this whole this whole fallacy that it can only be good if it's shared cinematic universe. I reject that completely. I reject that completely. I mean, hell, look at Joker. 
it is the most successful movie when you look at overall that they've ever done. And it, it won Academy Awards. Wacky Phoenix won Best Actor, made over a billion dollars. And every, I mean, not everybody, but, but I mean, almost everybody loved it. It's fantastic. You don't need to make share everything shared cinematic universe. I love that DC is going off and trying new things because you know what the comics do? The comics do all the time. The comics have their main story throughs and then they have isolated stories. All the time they do that. This is like Krypton Red Sun. The Dark Knight Returns. You know, whatever. Like the comics do it all the time. Why can't they? Why can't? They have shared universe movies and standalone movies. The comics do it all the time. And I think it's great. I think it should be mixed up because you give filmmakers a lot more freedom when they're not handcuffed to a shared cinematic universe. You never could have made Joker in the DCEU. It just, there just would have been too many compromises that movie would have had to have made to fit in with the shared cinematic universe and the events going on in there and what's normal in that universe and what's not. So no, I do not believe that the DCU is about dead. We've got Flash coming. That's going to spark a whole thing. We got another Wonder Woman. We got Aquaman 2 coming. The first Aquaman made a billion dollars at the box office, dude. I didn't think that movie would make $800 million. I always said it would be a hit and I always said it would be successful, but I never thought it would make 800 million and it made a billion dollars at the box office and it was fun and enjoyable and great. You had a great director in there too. I mean, honestly, I think right now things look very good for DC. I think things look now that doesn't mean it's going to be successful. It doesn't mean that the movies, all you need to do is put out good movies. I don't give a flying fart if a good movie is connected to a, to a shared cinematic universe or not, as long as it's a good movie, the dark Knight was not connected to any shared cinematic universe. And a lot of people think it's the greatest comic book movie of all time. Uh, I don't think it's the greatest comic book movie of all time, but a lot of people do think it's the greatest comic book movie of all time. So no, listen, we got everything from black Adam, I think looks very exciting. I'm very, very stoked about that. They're making progress on this Green Lantern core thing, which I think could be very, very cool. Obviously, Aquaman 2 is something I'm very excited about. Obviously, this, this Robert Pattinson Batman thing is something I'm very excited about. As long as Andy Muschietti is directing this Flash movie, I think that's something to be very excited about. Andy Muschietti is a terrific storyteller and a great director. So no, man, I got to say, I disagree. I completely disagree, especially with Flashpoint coming. I disagree that the DCEU is dead. Not at all. I think there's a lot of life in this thing left. I think the best is yet to come. Um, again, it may or may not work out. May or may not. But right now, I think they're pretty well positioned. And I think Walter Hamada has done a good job. I think he is the right guy to steer this thing. And, you know, we'll see where they go. We'll, we will see where they go. All right, guys. With that down, that'll do it for today's installment. Now, listen, there are still a few more questions to go here from Russell Amador, Wakanda Forever, Casey McNatt. Uh, do not worry, guys. We will pick up tomorrow's show. We will start right off right where we left off. And in the meantime, guys, you can start sending in your comments and questions early. You don't have to wait until the show is live to send in your live comments and questions and tips to support the show. Just go anytime 24-7 to streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. The sooner you send it in, the earlier it gets read on the show. Funny how that 
that works. Anyway, guys, thank you to all of you for spending a part of your day here with us as we talked about our favorite things in the world. Special thank you to all of you guys who did send in those live comments and questions. Number one, because you give us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you support this channel as you do it. And all of us involved with the John Campus Show, thank you guys very, very much for that support. Okay, guys, remember to do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me for now, guys. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.